What is going on, all of my loyal podcast listeners? Thanks so much for tuning in. It's episode 75 of the podcast. I know it's been a while. Not to uh, my choice. Unfortunately, there was tragedy in the family. Um, yeah, we, we lost a, a real great one in Norman Christensen. A tragic death a couple weeks ago. Um, still in the grieving process, uh, me and Ms. Taylor. And, you know, it, it puts into perspective this podcast, which I love, and, and we're going to continue to do this show. Uh, but nothing else matters than the people in your life. You never know when the last time you might see someone is. Always let them know how much you appreciate them and always keep perspective on those that mean so much to you. Um, we're going to keep chugging along here because that's life. Um, but had to put football, had to put the podcast on hold, and that's why we did not come to you uh, last week after Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to touch on that briefly, namely, uh, you know, that's come and gone, so I'm not going to hit on that too much, but do have some thoughts with Matthew Stafford, his Hall of Fame candidacy, uh, just overall that football game, along with Aaron Rodgers, his future, Major League Baseball, still kind of the same deal there, not really coming out of that lockout anytime soon, maybe not at least for the next week or 10 days or so, but they hopefully are making some progress. But we got a lot to hit on as far as the football world, baseball world, even the basketball world, college basketball here on this podcast. Let's get to it. Episode 75 of the podcast. One thing that I saw on a Twitter when I was just going through my timeline, which I pretty much have boiled it down to just uh, a news article or a news medium. Really, I just follow NFL reporters, Major League Baseball, different sports folks to get the news um, from you know their publishing and their content. Not so much in reading tweets. Again, just more so reading their articles um, and reading the reports that they have on the rumors and the latest news. And one thing that I saw from Kevin Clark of uh, The Ringer, I think he's still there, um, a guy who's made a career off trolling and making fun and at times bullying people on the internet is the guy retweeted a story from the Kansas City Star from a different writer um, endorsing it as an issue that needs to be talked about. And that is the bullying and um, abuse from some fans on the internet to Brittany Matthews, Brittany Mahomes' wife, or I guess it's fiance of Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, look, any reprehensible comments... Anyone that, you know, puts disgusting things out there on the internet, yeah, like, y- you are losers, for sure. And there will always be losers where we're talking about football or even in your own circle that do things like that. And so that's where I, you know, don't, you know, misalign with what these guys are saying. Like, I think everybody's in alignment, unless you are one of those folks, which in that case, you know, you got major issues. But, you know, for the people that are just getting annoyed from Brittany Matthews and Patrick Mahomes, you know what? I kind of fucking get it because it is annoying. And because the media, as evidenced by them even you know pointing to this as an issue, they are in bed with people like Brittany Matthews. That is their lifeblood. That is a source. That is a connection that they want to keep over the life period of Patrick Mahomes' career. There's so much to benefit from you know, shining those people in a positive light and being in their corner. But you know what people don't care about when it comes to professional sports athletes? Their wives. Yeah, the ratings say so. The Kelly Staffers podcast of the world, uh, the Brittany Matthews 
and what they bring in. There's no uh, uh, content benefit to those people from NFL fans. There's not. The studies show that. People want to hear about the players, the people that matter. And I know... There are athletes that pound the tables for their for their wives, and you know, rightfully so. That that's their significant other. But really, society just kind of looks at those significant others as someone that's along for the ride. That their contributions, well, there are some. You're you're running a family. You're in the limelight with your husband, who's a pro athlete. But really, it's pretty minimal. And anyone, anyone, would trade your life in a heartbeat, and you would never trade for their lives ever being a $500 million quarterback's wife. So all the vitriol and all the negative things that come with, you know, abuse on the internet and just anything and everything you say, guess what? You really don't care about that because you wouldn't trade your life for anything. So yeah, I, I, I get it. You can unfollow if you don't like Brittany Matthews. I don't follow her. I don't let her shit get to me. It doesn't bug me. But I will defend the people that just generally think she's annoying and think she's a little bit over the top and say, God, she is just tiresome. She is tiresome with with this whole we thing. Me and Patrick, we are Super Bowl champs. No, Brittany, you're not. Patrick is. And I understand they have some things going on that you're a part of with this. But let's just stop acting like the media actually has a clear vision on this because they don't. They're protecting sources, as we talk about all the time. Brittany Matthews and Patrick Mahomes is just the latest. So, college basketball is not a topic that we discuss too regularly. You know, I actually, in the, we're now going on three years now with this podcast. And we've been off and on a little bit, which I've been a little bit more consistent. Uh, I think I've kind of made some strides in that way, which reminds me, I need you to share with your friends. Um, you know, anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, uh, Apple, obviously we're there. So tell your friends about it and, and let them know what we're doing here. Cause, uh, the train's going to continue to roll. And you know, when Jawan Howard head coach of Michigan strikes another coach, I got to talk about college hoops. Cause I thought that guy would definitely get fired. University of Michigan, a blue chip program. He is part of the fab five. So he obviously means a lot to that university, but this was the second time, I didn't see the first one a couple of years ago, but it's the second time he's caused a, a melee out on the court during a college game and he struck another coach. What type of an adult has that, uh, just uh, gets a pass for that? Like what? Five games? Are you kidding me? In what workforce would that ever be tolerated, acceptable? University of Michigan is just okaying this. By giving him, you know, the rest of the season as suspension. What, he's going to come back for the playoffs? He's going to coach again? There is in no way, and players like, you know, them hitting someone, punching another player or even another coach, a player 18, 19 years old, much more understandable. But like, how does a player look at his coach in the eye afterwards anytime Jawan Howard tries to talk about um, having composure and staying disciplined? Uh, and, and being in the moment and honing down. It's like, Coach, what? Coach, you, you got mad during a post-game handshake, and this is the second time you've caused an uproar. Like, you know, th- there's a standard to be met, and, you know, I remember Penny Hardaway earlier in the year had his little tangent with the media 
because he was mad he didn't have all his starting players and the media was asking him what he's going to do to continue to win games and he pretty much just blamed his roster being too young you know you know you're out there coaching penny you're coaching with your guys and you're putting excuses out there that they're not good enough that yeah that doesn't really bode well with coaching but it just leads me to believe that you know all these young coaches that are brought in to relate and to connect with their players because they like them let's remember this is a good example that coaching is about elevating players to bring out their best in competition to win games and yeah it's a bonus if the coach uh, if he actually connects with the players, if the players like him, that's a bonus. But ultimately, there's a shit ton of cash in college basketball, and it's about winning games. And when you're out there punching other coaches, starting fights, and again, I you know it's not like you threw haymakers and shanked them out there. I get that, open hand slap. But like, when else have you seen this? Never. I mean, I. I I can't recall. Maybe if you want to bring something up in the 80s or something, but did that coach get fired? I bet bet your ass he did. This is about understanding as a leader that you have to embody what your players, uh, what you're asking of them. And, you know, Jawan burnt his credibility. Burnt it. I, I don't really... Look, I'm not watching Michigan basketball uh, every week, uh, every Tuesday and Saturdays or whenever they play anymore. But, I mean, I could see this being a sharp downhill. You know, stark um, and just complete nosedive um, with their season and, and just his tenure as Michigan. Uh, you know, I thought he should have been fired. And I I know the media is like, I'm not calling for people's jobs. No, you, you can call for people's jobs. You did it with Art Bryles. Again, rightfully so at Baylor and what he covered up. You do it when coaches suck. I can call for a, jo- a job right now. Jawan Howard should have been fired. Michigan, they got it wrong. You know, I heard a uh, good rule of thumb when talking about the Hall of Fame. And that's if you have to think about it, that person's not a Hall of Famer. Now, there are exceptions. I believe typically even in baseball, uh, upon further review, there is a candidacy where you're kind of like, damn, you know what? He, he actually was really damn good. And you know what? We, we, we got to take a second look at this. And, you know, he actually deserves to get in. He's cleared the bar. Football, it's a little bit more off. Um, you, you can just tell, you can just tell. And with Matthew Stafford, look, I think there's too many people, writers that actually have votes in this. The Associated Press is the one that votes for the Hall of Fame. You're covering the game right now in, in live time. Matthew Stafford and his career, he just won a Super Bowl. Um, he went to Sean McVay with a very good offense. He had all the physical talent in the world, but now he was paired with an identity that was more uh, complementary with the offense, defense, and special teams with Sean McVay, um, he wasn't—he didn't have it all on his shoulders like they like he had in Detroit. It was Matthew save us. That was the offense with the Lions, and he never had a running back. The defense always sucked. Special teams abysmal. Head coach always average to below average. Matt Caldwell was pretty good, but you know his teams were undisciplined. So, you know, look, Matthew Stafford, he put up a lot of gaudy stat totals because it was always on his shoulders. So if you look at the touchdowns, the yards, the completions, someone, when they're with the Associated Press, going to the Hall of Fame vote when the career's over, they're going to say, well, Matthew Stafford stacking up at ninth, 8th, and 7th. We got to put him in. No, you don't. There's never been a time in Matthew Stafford's career 
where I've actually thought teams have been winning. His teams have been winning because of him. He's had a lot of great moments, but he has thrown his team out of games way too many times. He's needed way too much help, whether that's uh, at head coach, whether that's more at receiver, running back, offensive line. Anytime there's a deficiency on their team, he does not band-aid them and lead them to victory. I love Matthew Stafford. I think he has all the uh, tangibles, intangibles to be great. But when it actually comes to performance, you know, he he's let me down too many times. Whereas Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, um, Drew Brees, there's been times where they've been dealing with less and it's like, holy shit, these guys are still performing at their peak. Matthew Stafford has never fucking done that. I've been watching his games forever. And I think everybody is kind of in consensus that, you know, this is not a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, the numbers tell me that he is, but the numbers lie to you. It's the same thing with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, based off the era that he's played in, based off the teams and how they've really just designed them over in Atlanta for all those years, he's going to have those total numbers. But that's why you, as the Associated Press or whomever, you have to reform, you have to change the way you're going about the voting process. Right now, in real time, the narrative on the season for Matthew Stafford has been what? That's what you got to remember when it comes Hall of Fame voting time. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of votes to be, uh, you know, casted between now and when Stafford actually retires and, you know, it's up for the Hall of Fame, Eli Manning. Here in a couple of years, I cannot wait for that one. Eli Manning does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to get in. And it's just going to lower the bar uh, completely. Uh, but until then, you know, Matthew Stafford, love the guy. think he's, you know, pro's pro. He's everything you want. But ultimately, he's let me down too much. And, you know, it's why he's not on track to be in the Hall of Fame. Good article came out from uh, Jason Stark of The Athletic. He, you know, he's a little nutty for me. Not that he's not, you know, good at what he does. And he doesn't bring great evidence. He's just, you know, his style... A little bit of a goofball, but that's okay. I, I like goofballs. I'm a little off the wall sometimes. Uh, I'm sure if I met him, would love him all the same. But he had a fantastic article, and I tried to read as much as his, uh, of his stuff as I can, talking about banning the shift. I have been absolutely 100% behind this. Really, I don't know, like late 2018, 2017. It's, it's just something that is so beneficial for both the union, the PA, uh, which of course is you know headed and uh, still in their standoff uh, head to head here with uh, the MLB and their owners. Everybody gets a, a benefit to this. Ban the shift. Create illegal defense in baseball. There's too many statistics that show you that it will one value different types of hitters. Which I know that was maybe the uh, the point that front offices were making and not banning the shift is that oh you know it, it's not really a uh, adding value or rewarding the rel, uh, the well-rounded hitters. It's really the three true outcome guys that are going to get more hits. Yeah, and, and to that, I say, great. Let, give those hitters more of a chance to get on base and to succeed. I like having different types of hitters. I don't want to, you know, DJ LeMahieu or Mike Trout, or, or actually, no, Mike Trout. That, that would be cool to see that many folks. But just the well-rounded guys, even the the Mookie Betts, um, the Juan Sotos, guys that are going to give you a professional at bat all the way around, can hit the ball to all fields. 
ultimately that's kind of boring. I like that there are three true outcome guys. I like that there are slider only guys that can only hit those pitches because of their slow bat speed. I think it's interesting. And really, you're just reforming it. You're really restoring it back to the regular levels that it was at. You know, the diamond was put together in a certain way, and you put certain guys at certain spots for a reason. And I think this is just a very easy way. Bill James had a stat in this article from Jason Stark. 22% of balls hit on the ground uh, into a shift. They were scooped up and created into outs where otherwise had it just been the quote-unquote regular defense, they would have been hits. 22%. That's a lot. And shifts are going up astronomically year by year. There was over 34, or excuse me, 54,000 shifts last year in 2021. Yeah, they're doing it for a reason. It works. It's suppressing outs. It's taking them away. And I just think with all the data, not only in the minor leagues, even in college, There are guys that do not stand a chance at really hitting the ball the other way because that's always the main argument. The hitter should learn to take the pitch the other way. Well, yeah, but the pitcher is now pitching to the shift. He knows he has defenders on the right side of the infield for a left-handed batter, so he's pitching them inside to hit the ball that way where all the defenders are. So... there's just too much information now, even starting off in the minor leagues that, you know, guys don't really even have a chance to become well-rounded hitters. Uh, That's why there's so few Juan Sotos and Mookie Betts and, you know, just plug and play your your well-rounded guy uh, from whoever fits that criteria. I, I think this is just way too beneficial to one, speed up the game and put action into the game that, you know, we are starved for in the game of baseball. Again, I love the game as is, but, you know, I'm the minority there. You got to do something to create more action and give the product a, a, a better feel for, for the the uh, uh, the attraction that you're trying to make to new fans. So I, I just don't understand, you know, why this would take so long. This is one of those things that's just an easy, quick fix in my mind. You put two guys on each side of the base say you have to stand on the infield. Otherwise, you know, it's a ball or it's a balk or whatever. And just, you know, enforce the rules that way. Not fines. They did that with, uh, you know, the one foot in the batter's box um, back in the day. And they were fining players and, you know, they, they took the fine. It wasn't a big deal to them. So you can't hit the pocketbook. You actually have to put it on the field and banning the shift. Um, it's long overdue. I think they should do it in uh, this upcoming uh, collective bargaining agreement. You know, when it's all said and done, really, you could say there's probably 10 to 12 fits as far as Aaron Rodgers and a potential trade candidate. He went on Pat McAfee after his um, emotional Instagram posts with gratitude after he did like his cleanse where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like read up on it. I guess it's like some weird shit and real spirituality and you know, I don't know. But anyway, 12 day cleanse, very emotional, I had to thank his homies and, uh, you know, let him know for all, or let him know about all the support and all that crap. And, you know, the media uh, and us thought, oh, is, is this the end? Which, you know, fair to say. I mean, this is what he does. He puts stuff out for us and uh, we talk about it. Um, I don't think it was any indication either which way. Um, to me, it's already been decided. He's done. He's out on Green Bay. This may be reinforced a little bit, but, you know, I can take him at his word that, you know, he's just giving thanks to, to the friends and folks uh, over there at the Packers. But, you know, when we're talking about 
the Packers and kind of how they see this, this has got to be a little bit exhausting. You know, I, I think they may say, hey, we would love for the MVP quarterback, four-time MVP, Super Bowl champion, maybe the best to ever do it in a lot of people's eyes. We'd love for him to stick around. But, you know, at the same time, this operation that is football and having your quarterback just go public with everything, go on the McAfee show, say whatever he wants, whatever the hell he wants, and, you know, know that he's going to get away with it, we're kind of done and just letting him do that and giving him that leash. You know, the Packers may say, look, we invested that first round pick for a reason. We think Jordan Love is great. There's plenty of people that disagree, including me, but they think that. So maybe they'll just say, Aaron, we're, we're going to make this decision for you. We're going to look for a trade partner. Um, if you want to have some input on it, please let us know about a list of names with your agent and we'll try and strike a deal. But you know what? Like the more this goes on, and it sounds like maybe it'll be coming like in a week or 10 days because he did talk about the March 8th deadline uh, with the franchise tag and Devontae and wanting to let the Packers know. And he seems to be on good terms, but they may make this decision for him and say, look, like we're just kind of tired of this. We're ready for a fresh start. We think you've been excellent. You have been excellent over these 16 years, but we, we, we just we can't do this anymore. And if you want this to be uh, the Aaron Rodgers and executive head coach collaboration where you have a say in stuff, you're going to have to do that elsewhere because that's not how we do business here. And we got a young quarterback that we like a lot who's just going to play quarterback. So, you know, I, I think, again, he ends up on the Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett, it sounds like they really pivoted to him. Denver did at the last minute because it was Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn, and all of a sudden, the 11th hour, Nathaniel Hackett is announced as the head coach. So it seems like that's what they're really going all in on for. You could say the Saints, the Bucks, the 49ers even might make a run at them, uh, along with the Steelers, who I think is you know best fit number two. But we're getting closer and closer when Aaron Rodgers doesn't make a decision that the Packers might be the ones making the decisions themselves. So we got breaking news here on the podcast. I just uh, had a thing pushed my phone about Brian Flores. The Dolphins had offered him a non-disclosure agreement, NDA, to stay silent after they fired him last month in January. Looks like he's going to be speaking with Brian Gummel here on Tuesday evening, recording this a couple hours before the premiere of that episode. And uh, we'll get the full interview. I just kind of got the snippets here. The most interesting thing is that Flores seemed to be somewhat in the middle, you know, very neutral on why he hasn't reached out or spoken to Bill Belichick yet. So I'm wondering if there's like something going on there, like maybe if he, you know, violated the trust of Belichick or if he's mad at Belichick. I can't imagine why, like Belichick made an honest, honest uh, mistake. So maybe, you know, just just something I picked up on. Maybe it's not the case with Flores. But look, you know, with this whole lawsuit and allegations that Brian Flores is making, I give him credit. He's laying it all out on the line there uh, in trying to really reform change. Uh, but fuck, I mean, he is making some serious allegations and he better have some evidence to it because... You know, Ross, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, has flat out denied these allegations. And you better have it in writing. You better have it um, recorded. Like maybe he was wearing a wire during this yacht meet where, you know, a prominent quarterback was what Ross wanted to be recruited to his team, a.k.a., you know, Tom Brady, 
during that uh, 2019 um, or 2020 meeting rather on Ross's yacht. And then, of course, you know, there's the $100,000 per loss uh, to tank for a top draft pick. So along with this, uh, this NDA that surfaced here on Tuesday, you know, Flores is making some some serious accusations here. Um, so, you know, ultimately, it's a really bad look for the league when the uh, Rooney rule, which is named after Art Rooney of the Steelers, who uh, before this hiring cycle was completed, had the only black head coach, and then they hire Brian Flores and nobody else did. Really bad look for the league because Brian Flores, he should be a head coach. Um, he you know, should be a head coach right now. I think, I think the bears effed up and trying to, you know, outsmart themselves and getting Matt Uberflus. He's going to be an absolute disaster. Um, Lovey Smith. I'm okay with him saying in Houston. Uh, I thought the saints also with Dennis Allen, something that, you know, is a good move, but I also would have, you know, liked to see Flores there. I mean, he could have helped a, a, a lot of clubs, but um, yeah, th- this is something that's getting layered. Uh, by the week, kind of like uh, Aaron Rodgers and, you know, a very different saga, but it'll be something to watch here in the off season. And that's what we got is a full line, a full uh, stock of off season stories. And I cannot wait. It's our first episode uh, right now on that side of things. Appreciate everybody listening. Thanks so much. It's the podcast, Pete Forsey. We're back on track here after a, a unfortunate a week and a half, 10-day hiatus. We're back to talking about what's going on in the sports world. Like I said, off-season uh, kind of mindset right now, talking about big-picture stories, draft is around the corner, talking about off-season needs for NFL teams. And then hopefully we got some spring training and come March 31st, hopefully April, hopefully no delay, we got Major League Baseball. I can't wait to really dive into Major League Baseball because I, I got some ideas on how I'm going to uh, do the podcast around baseball because I'm a big fan. I know I do have some listeners that are actually uh, big baseball fans, more than I actually originally thought. So, you know, definitely want to tailor it to you guys. But if you have any suggestions, let me know at me on Twitter, at Pete4C, not really on Instagram or Snapchat anymore. Um, you can hit up the text line or call line, 816-226-7483. We're going to keep on rolling. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for tuning in.